Good morning and welcome to this edition of the Richard Urban Show. We have a special West Virginia 2020 interview today. We're with Brooke Lunsford, Republican candidate for governor of West Virginia. And we're very happy to welcome him, you know, uh, to the show today. So we'd like to ask you to introduce yourself and we'll take it from there. All right, that sounds great. I am Brooke Lunsford, of course. I am from Cabell County, which is the western end of the state. A lot of people know Marshall University, so that's my home county. I uh, went to college at West Virginia Tech, which is in Kanawha County, uh, on the edge of Kanawha and Fayette County. Uh, I was planning to come your way this summer, but with all this virus stuff, they shut down a camp that my daughter was going to in D.C., so that's been a little derailed, but uh, I'm excited about your heritage and your history over in Jefferson County and Harpers Ferry area. Okay. Well, yeah, definitely a lot, a lot over here, you know, yeah. everything from uh, John's Brown raid, the start of the whole, you know, abolition movement. That's really true. Absolutely. Very historic area, the Niagara conference. Yeah. I'm really excited about that too. There's a lot of history here in Harpers Ferry, mm -hmm. very important place. Um, so, you know, what it, you tell us, um, could you tell us like your three most important um, campaign platform points that you'd like to accomplish as a governor of West Virginia? Absolutely. Every county, we have 55 counties, and as you know, the population varies drastically. We've got some counties with five or six people, or five or 6,000 people, and some counties with 200,000. When I look at your county, and you have roughly 53,000 people in the county, but only about 26,000 of them are registered as Republicans and Democrats to vote. So half the people are making the decisions for everybody. So what I tried to come up with is where I'm from the western end of the state, what can I do that's going to be good for Jefferson County like it would be for Cabo or some of these other counties? So my number one thing is a jobs program that we developed through a nonprofit that I founded. And the jobs grant is for anybody that wants an opportunity to own their own business. And it's a business situation where we would teach them office procedures and things like that. The grant has already gone into the Appalachian Regional Commission, which is responsible for taking care of this Appalachian Regional Poverty Corridor that you and I have. Now, you guys being 50 miles from Washington, D.C., don't deal maybe with that same type of poverty that we have. But at the same time, you have people that would love to get an opportunity maybe to learn some office procedures, maybe to learn about the insurance industry. We've got some great partners in this. My number one partner in the grant is Progressive Insurance. Progressive has 38,000 agents. They're in 50 states. So it enables us to get outside of West Virginia and bring new money to West Virginia. So the grant could be hiring 100 people for every $3 million. So theoretically, Jefferson County could call me and say, hey, Lunsford, you didn't get elected, but we're interested in the jobs grant. What can we do? Well, for $3 million, we can guarantee 100 people a job. For $30 million, we can guarantee 1,000 people a job. For $300 million, we can hire 10,000 people. So, now, yeah. I, I noticed you mentioned about that on your website. So mm -hmm. is this like um, bringing uh, offices to different areas, or is it virtual, or how do they get involved with this business you're talking about? Well, have you ever heard of Jake at State Farm? Remember Jake the commercial? <laughs> Three o'clock in the morning, the guy's on the phone. 
See, State Farm and these big companies, they're already doing this. You can call anytime, 24 hours a day, and buy a product from them. Okay. What makes our product different is we're, we're going to have more carriers than just one. See, State Farm, you can only sell State Farm. All states, you can only sell all states. Uh. But when we train these people and we use all these different carriers like Progressive and Safeco and Liberty Mutual and AAA and all these different, I mean, we've got some great regionals. You've got one over near you, farmers and mechanics. So as we train these people in all these different things, they can grow their own business. We give them a code and day one, it could be Richard Urban Insurance Agency. So there's a pride of ownership there that they have and they develop. And then what we do is we give them the support to learn and do this and they service the clients that we have. So it's not the old style, sell your family and friends and then you're done for. We're going to teach them how to work the business, but there's business there to follow up on and to learn to work with people because due to this technology we've got, we will use the technology to call all over the country and bring money back to West Virginia. That's the okay. good part. Hmm. But the other part is people don't interact anymore. People don't know how to communicate. So if they come through our program and just learn the skills to communicate, it's going to help them drastically. Okay. So would this um, program require what, like a high school graduation, any more than that, or what would it be? Well, theoretically, not even a high school graduation. Now, that would show some kind of commitment that you could come up with a high school diploma. You know what I mean? We would hope that. But in West Virginia, we have 7,150 foster kids. They right. age yeah, out. yeah, that's true. Yeah, they age out at age 18. Well, at 18, we kick them to the curb and say, you're on your own. This is a job that we could probably teach a child that had a little bit of ambition. We could probably teach them this job and give them an opportunity to be employed, as you're saying, without spending $100,000 on college and having a bunch of student loans that you may or may not be able to get paid back. Well, I agree with that. College is like way oversold, in my opinion. Plus, you know, like, you know, there, I see you're, you know, uh, obviously a Christian man, you know, the whole thing of the value system of the college and all that is extremely critical for parents. So what about, um, so we're talking about, so this is like a private enterprise. How would the government be involved, if at all? Like, could you, you're like, is this something you're doing now? Why would or how would, is it completely private? Does it have some government function or how is it related? Well, Appalachian Regional Commission, as you're aware of, starts about the southern point of the state of New York, goes all the way across New York, all of Pennsylvania, all of West Virginia, a big part of Virginia, that sliver down Virginia. It goes down the Ohio River almost to Columbus on the Ohio side, most of Kentucky, and all the way into the top of Georgia and Alabama. So it's a huge place. The Appalachian Regional Commission has the job of getting $170 million a year, and their job is to try to rescue the poverty that is in Appalachia. So it's already there. Oh, you're saying, done. so is this a, I'm not actually, I'm not, I should be, I'm glad you're educating about the Appal Appalachian Regional Commission. Um, so is that a, like a quasi-governmental thing? Is it private? What is it? Explain okay. a little more for those of us like me, who aren't well-versed or should be versed. Well, once again, until I got into this political thing a few years ago, I had no idea what all this stuff was either. But it's just a group that their, their, their funding comes from the federal government, and it's all about helping this one corridor. 
So they had put a power grant out and the power grant was for creation of jobs. But the idea was show us a little bit about the jobs you can create. And if you can, and you can scale it up, we'll let you do as many people, hire as many as you want. So but have you gotten this grant or is that? No, we just submitted it a few months ago. Pardon me? We just submitted it. Oh, I see. Okay. So private enterprise. Well, that kind of leads to the question, you know, of the whole jobs thing. So would you say, you know, more, some people seem to think that it's a, somehow government can create jobs, you know, which kind of, to me, is counterintuitive. But explain your philosophy about that, like the role of government, the role of private enterprise. How does that balance? Well, and that's it. I, people say, well, you should be a Democrat because all you want is government programs. And I said, I don't want to be a Democrat or want government programs, but as long as they're taking all the money and they have all the money, we've got to go there and get it. See, that money is already earmarked for these programs. So it's not whether I get elected for governor or I didn't invent this stuff. We've done through research, we've found how to get the money and, and Lord knows we need the jobs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, well that, that's a positive thing. Um, yeah. Let's segue a little. You mentioned about the foster children. And I think, well, you tell me more about how you've worked with that. I think I heard on some of your um, materials, you've been involved with um, that. Why do we have so many kids in foster care? I suppose it's related to the, um, you know, opioid thing. What's your, your viewpoint of that? And what's a more like, uh, how do we help that in the long run? Well, what we've done with foster care is we've made a business out of taking care of the children. There's billions and billions of dollars that are going to people out here. And even almost a commission paid if they take somebody out of the house. And that can get us back into the family court system that needs a major overhaul. But just for the kids, when I ran last time, I have spent my time developing, or not developing, but offering my time as a substitute school teacher for 19 years. And the reason I did that is to be close to the kids and to try to be an inspiration. I can't talk about Jesus in front of them, but I mean, I can be positive and smile at them and, and, and be you know positive for them. Well, anyway, when I find out about the foster care system, they just wreck these kids' lives and then they wonder what's wrong with the kids when they get out of school or graduate. What my thing was, and the reason that I ran for governor this time, is I took the plan that I have to Bray Carey and Jim Justice, current governor. They told me, you know, oh, yeah, we'll look over it. We'll be in touch. Well, they didn't. Well, I'm a cage rattler. If it doesn't get solved, I just keep going on up the chain. Right. Last time I ran for state senate, this time I'm running for governor. And I was going to, to Washington, D.C. this summer if this lockdown hadn't happened because I'm going to go all the way on this because these kids are the most important thing of all. And we're losing a bunch of them. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. The, I mean, the family structure is extremely important. The fact that so many kids are in uh, foster care. And <laughs> I've had some personal experience, not with West Virginia foster care, but my wife and I were working on adopting someone. We used to live in D.C., so we're transplants. But we've been out here like four years. And wow, what a mess. Now, maybe West Virginia isn't as crazy as D.C. foster care. But I mean, that was a nightmare. We wanted to adopt. Well, good luck. It seems like they want to do anything but have you adopt. Now, I'm not saying 
West Virginia, maybe it's better, but there is like a nightmare. It's not better any place. There's 400,000 foster kids in the United States of America. In the greatest country in the history of the world, we can't even take care of our kids. That's how far our greatness has fallen. Yeah, uh, I mean, th those are, are huge issues uh, about that. So, um, yeah, so you're talking about your jobs creation program. Are there another couple of, of points? Like I noticed, like, um, what do you think about things like some people have been advocating for removing the business and inventory tax? Uh, I know other candidates have talked about that, and I've heard that's come up before. Is that a good tax? Why do we have that tax? And I understand most states don't have it, right? Should we get rid of that? Right. We should get rid of every tax. But here's what happened when they brought it up this past time, and that's why. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if they flip a coin on what issues they're gonna bring up at the cap. I don't know how they derive what they're doing, but when they got, get this close to passing, they start looking around and all these counties start realizing how much money they're gonna be losing. And they're like, whoa, hold up here. We can't do this. We can't eliminate this tax because the money's, you know, we can't replace the hole in the budget. My, my plan, and that's why I was looking at your all, the Harper's Ferry National Park that's over there, the yeah. beautiful land, the fact that you're 50 minutes from Washington, D.C. I want to build tourism up to such an extent that mm. we can get rid of personal income tax. Right now, personal income tax in the state of West Virginia is $2 billion. Right. We can do that because we have such a terrain. We're a lot like Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. They don't have personal state income tax. They allow the tourism to pay for the income taxes. All of Tennessee or just that area? No, the whole state of Tennessee. No state income tax in Tennessee and Florida and Texas. You know, and I think Nevada is another Delaware, one. Delaware, I think, has no uh, state income tax. Yeah. So what you do is when you don't have that state income tax and it's not being taken from you, now it's a sales tax because it's going to go on sales tax. So now these tourism, tourism can come from other states and they can pay that. Yeah, know? I think there's really something to that, looking at, at that and making it more attractive. I mean, it's a, I think, it, I agree with you, it's a false paradigm, I think, oh, we'll raise tax, we'll make more money. Well, that's been proven wrong a number of times. Like people right. who have these taxes on the rich or whatever, the so-called rich say goodbye and move to another state. It does, it, it's crazy. Yes, absolutely. Well, here's an analogy on, on business. I've been, I grew up in a family owned business. It was perishable foods, which meant perishable, meaning they spoiled if you didn't sell them or get them in a cooler or freezer in so many days. So I've had a sense of urgency since I was a kid, you know, and that's the thing that we're missing here is we don't, we can't afford a five-year plan in West Virginia or 10-year plan. We've got to go right now. And the biggest thing we can do the quickest is to bring new dollars to West Virginia by in, by this tourism thing. So yeah, I noticed. Yeah, I noticed locally there's the Hilltop House um, in uh, Harper's Ferry. Something. Yeah, Patricia Rucker, the state senator, is working on that. Mm -hmm. Apparently, they passed uh, uh, what you probably know better the name of it, an opportunity zone or something. I mm -hmm. guess. I, Maybe if you're familiar with that, since you're into the tourism thing, you could explain a little more why, if you know about it, why that was needed and what it does. Have you heard of that? Well, here's what I know about national historic monuments. There, there are not monuments, but housing and things like that. There's probably money to restore 
some of these houses and things. But the monstrosity that that is, what you've got is just a ma- I mean, for example, in Milton, West Virginia, my hometown, there is a Morse Memorial Nursing Home. It was a polio hospital 100 years ago or whenever. Okay. Well, a group has tried to, to get in there and renovate that now. The money to renovate those places is incredible. But where the National Historic Preservation Society is about taking a single house out here, and maybe you've got three or $400,000 in it, but you don't have 50 million. And that's what I think you're looking at on the Harper's Ferry house there. Would I love to jump on that? Absolutely. But once again, the money is so earmarked and it's so singular as far as the uses for the money, that you really can't get what you need to cut loose like you have to on a major project like that. Okay. Yeah. I need to study more about that. Um, but I, the idea of tourism, I mean, we have a beautiful state and you know, so yeah, I mean, the role of government, I guess would be to remove, in my opinion, you tell me what you think obstacles. So different enterprises can come in and, develop these of course i guess there should be a uh, proper oversight you know that it's of a uh, whatever environmental issues to some extent but basically you know people who want to develop it would and would if the tax structure i guess is right it would be beneficial all around mm-hmm. well take it back to your inventory tax and everything a new company we will try to entice them by offering not to charge them that tax well, how do you give that to somebody new, but to people that have carried you for their last 50 or 60 years? Right. What kind of message are you sending? Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, over here, you know, we have the controversy over the rock bull thing, which mm-hmm. I personally don't support that. I know some people say, um, what it's business, we need it. But, um, well, the problem was that wasn't transparent. I don't know if you're aware of that. So now we have a bit in here, kind of bucolic, nice scenic Jefferson County, we now have a nice uh, coal smelting factory coming. I mean, it was a bad fit. I didn't like the way it was done. But um, yeah, so uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, like, what do you think about, I think has come to the head now, the constitutional issues, like the lockdowns. I think that the governors have locked down the state and that includes Governor Justice, and I was just blogging, I don't know, if, I just put up a blog yesterday about uh, my show about, it's kind of random, you know, like Governor Justice said, oh, 20 or more people, I forget, it was 20 or 25, it's a hot spot. And then they said, oh, well, we forgot, uh, actually counties have different populations, so now we'll remove Kanawha County, but Jefferson still is. And we have a huge crisis in Jefferson. Well, there's 85 cases and one person died a few days ago, but we know no details, like, maybe they had severe other issues we don't know so basically nothing's happening and the governor says it's a hot spot i think this is abuse of constitutional power i think that the governors some 45 or 43 some notably like in south dakota have resisted that governor Noam. i think they've way overstepped the constitutional bounds they should not have done this i think it's a huge mistake I was just looking at his interview yesterday. He said there are like 30,000 unemployment applications. Usually it's 3,400. What is he doing? That's completely unnecessary. What's your take on it? Our nation is up to almost a 15% unemployment rate. The last time it was that high was the Great Depression. So that's, right. that's 
but it's not necessary. I don't want to say nothing's happening. Yes, elderly people should be careful. Sure, if you're elderly, you know, in a nursing home, I can understand that. Be very careful, have restrictions Mm -hmm. perhaps for a period of time. If you're elderly, maybe don't go to church service because, you know, you're elderly, you're frail. But shut our whole society down? This is insane in my opinion. I would use this as a catalyst, as you said, to take the governors from all these states and say, look, federal has been overreaching for a long time. We're going to come together as states, convention of states is out there trying to organize this kind of movement anyway. We're going to come together as a state. We're going to take the power back from the federal government. That's it doesn't matter what it costs and what we've got to do. For example, in West Virginia, we get a federal check for $4 billion. Let's just say it simple as we can. So all the federal income tax, you and I pay in, everybody pays in, all that results in coming back to West Virginia is $4 billion. Our personal income tax we currently pay is two. So can you see what we're paying in versus what we're getting back is not, is not working. Yeah, but and, here though, the, you know, the, this, these lockdowns, have, although I know President Trump has, you know, and Fauci, who I do not, I think should be fired, should um they've given guidelines but it's fallen to the states so i mean yeah. governor justice didn't have to follow that he could have said no we're not tanking our state we're mm-hmm. doing like what south dakota did and we're a rural state and i think he doesn't know what he's doing and i don't know who this dr clay guy is but sorry i'm not a doctor but i think i know more than this dr clay guy what is he doing well what they're everybody's trying to just right under everybody's coattails on this because they don't know but i was coming to the point that we've got to live it's like rockwell in your area if they poison the groundwater they poison everybody in jefferson county is it worth bringing rockwell in there if the fracking of the gas poisons the water and nobody can raise cattle or grow hay in where all the gas business is going on is that a good thing there's got to be a balance but i'm with you I don't want to die starving to death here at the house because I'm not allowed to go anywhere. I'll take my chances on catching the virus, but I want to live no matter how many days I've got left. And everybody feels that way. And you're exactly right. I'm with you hundred percent on that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're running and, and, you know, we definitely need to uh, eject our, uh, you know, governor. I wanted to, um, well, tell us, are there some more points you wanted to go over? I do have a couple more questions about some issues, but did you want to, yeah. you talked Let me about the business you. development. What else did you want to mention some other points? Well, uh, economic development has been my life. I'm experienced in insurance. I did broadband 20 years ago in 13 states. I've got the experts. I can help us with that. Uh, I've also, uh, with real estate and land development, a lot of my economic development deals with I want to build a hundred houses in every county because if you look at Berkeley over there in the county beside you, look at Martinsburg, you build it and they will come, right? I was looking at your website there. There's a, there's a few houses for sale in your all's area, but it looks like you could stand some newer construction in Harper's Ferry. Every 100 houses that are built adds $29 million to the economy. Yeah, there was a little boom in houses, and I live in the Shannondale, which is, you know, a large, well, effectively, it's a subdivision, Mm -hmm. and there are some new houses being uh, built here. Pretty many, I think. I don't know what this whole whole, uh, craziness is going to do to that, 
probably won't help much, but yeah. So, I mean, here's the deal. The money, millions and millions of dollars are out there to build affordable housing. Now, where you're so close to DC, I saw some decent priced homes, but then again, you know, about everything's over $250,000 in your area too, you know? A lot is, yeah. So yeah, the prices are, have gone up a lot of them. Um, so when you say affordable housing, you know, some people, I was talking to a neighbor about the Section 8 thing. Apparently, decades ago, somebody wanted to build some here, but the neighbors, uh, that was before I was living here, didn't think much of it. No, Is no. Is that what you're talking about? Or you're talking no, about no, no, else? no. I'm talking about something that looks good that you'd be proud to live in, not something one step away from a regional jail-looking building. <laughs> okay. Well, I honestly, just got, you don't have any pride of ownership in something like that. I mean, we've got a homeless deal going where we're working with Columbus, Ohio, some churches out there to get housing for the homeless out there. I mean, we're using cool looking little cabins and, and we're gonna use cool looking little cabins. Have you seen the storage container homes, some of the things that they've done with these? I've seen a, some, a little bit, yeah, that they yeah, use those um, steel uh, containers, right? Out in Seattle, I was out there last year and they stacked those steel containers and over the front of them, everybody had a front porch with a double door there. I mean, and so everybody could sit right on the lake there in Seattle from those stack storage containers. So it doesn't have to look like a shack to be a cool looking house and something you can be proud of. Yeah. And, and that's what we would do. And another thing, what we would do with the affordable housing is number one, it, it helps people with lower incomes and, and middle income people get into a newer house but it also can help us attract people that are retiring from other states because I got a feeling there are going to be a lot of people wanting to get out of New York City, right? Yeah, right. I mean, that's, a, that's an opportunity. That's a buying signal. I'm a salesperson. It right. is a buying signal with this virus. Now, we can sit here and cry because our budget's going to be a billion dollars short, or we can get on the stick and start doing targeting ads to these territories and say, We've got a house over here for $150,000 or $200,000. Come over here. We're going to talk to you. We're going to help you. Our rural house, we're not going to tell them our rural hospitals are struggling. But we can put a package together for people for the rest of their lives if they'll come to West Virginia and give us a chance. Yeah. So let me segue to a question I have for you. And you may, may or may not have noticed something that's close to my heart. So I'm working on the issue of constitutional personal freedom, i.e. specifically I'm very much concerned about West Virginia's forced vaccination, meaning no vaccines, no school. I think that's very wrong. People need to have a choice. So I know I'm involved with groups that deal with that. Hundreds of parents have moved out of the state because they will not for either religious reasons, because there's, you know, who God knows what in vaccines, or personal reasons, inject their children. So we're saying we want people to move to state, but yet our legislators and our governor have zero interest so far. Okay, many legislators, these, these things keep getting, uh, what do you say, never see the light of day in the legislature. I've been working on it for several years and other people for several decades. So point being, if we wanna make the state friendly for the things you're talking about, should we really have the policy forced vaccination? Plus, even more fundamentally, isn't that a constitutional right to decide what goes into your body? 
how could the freedom of the Mountaineer State say, hey, look, you want your kid to go to school? We'll tell you, you got to take this, 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 this. Oh, they get an injury or die? Oh, it's too bad. Is that right? Well, you and I did it when we were kids, and we never had a question about it. But it was only a few vaccines, <laughs> and now there's a lot of reactions and yeah. many vaccines. And even yeah. then, there weren't you know, necessary safety studies. Mm -hmm. But that's it. They've added so much, and everybody's afraid that somebody's going to give them the mark of the beast in a chip, and you know, people are panicked over some of that. But as you're saying, they've, they've just run it in the ground. Well, yeah. I mean, there's that aspect of it. I mean, it is true that Bill Gates is promoting like universal vaccination. Interestingly, with this whole, um, you know, supposed pandemic. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's very bad. So, so let me to make it more clear. Are you for leaving the system we have in place? Or should we system being no school, no vaccinate, no vaccinate, no school, no religious exemptions, even if there's like a boarded field tissue and several vaccines, or any other issue, no personal exemptions, very hard or almost impossible to get even medical exemptions. Are you for leaving that in place? Or should we remove those, those, um, those, uh, how do you say mandates? Well, that would be great to go either way on this. But here's your problem. When people come in with these kind of issues, I mean, they're going to fight and argue forever on this. You know what I'm saying? These aren't things that you're going to be able. I mean, the governor, I mean, you know, I mean, it takes so much cooperation for this. And the thing is, it's not like it's got to be the, the majority of the vote on some of this stuff. You know, I mean, to turn over some of these things, I mean, you got to have two thirds of the people to do this or, you know, three fourths of the people to do that. And the problem with our state is we can't get two out of 10 to agree on something. So yeah. I'd love to tell you that we could be flexible or we could clean something like that up. But, you know, there's two, two lines of passion on that, you know. I mean, there's that old school on the vaccine. I don't want to add new stuff. I don't want to add new taxes. I don't want to add new anything. But like you say, you know, somebody on chicken pox, are they going to get that? Well, that's extinct here now, or, you know, smallpox is extinct. But all it takes is one person to go into a third world country and bring that back here. And then what do you have? Right. Nobody's been but, I, but I think the issue is that most people don't know. None of these uh, vaccines are ever tested for overall mortality. So nobody knows if more people die from the vaccine. And you mentioned chickenpox. I have a study right printed out in my notebook where the, uh, and it's a peer reviewed study. They're saying, we don't know if this vaccine kills more people or helps. And you know what the interest of the CDC and other people is? No, they don't want to look into that because there's huge conflicts of interest because of the whole pharmaceutical thing and everything like that. And also if you think about the whole opioid thing, these are the same people who brought you the, the opioids, which weren't supposed to addict anybody. So, but we're saying, oh no, I mean, that's bad, but vaccines are good. It doesn't make any sense. No, I'm with you on that. Let me, uh, nobody's backing my campaign but me. So okay. there's no money in this thing uh, because I wanted to see what my statewide, what I could, you know, what my foundation would be going forward. I'm not quitting June 9th, win or lose. Right, I got it. Okay, but I got to see what my baseline is because I've been in this state a long time. And even though you all don't know me where you're at, I've been around. So I'm going to be here. But you're exactly right. And I'm with you on that. It's, it's no different than the lockdown. 
we'll take your word for it. Well, we can't trust you to take your word for anything. Right. Yeah, that's true. Right. And that's, so I'll back down the pharmaceutical people, but here's the thing. If, if somebody, you know, I'll back down to pharmaceuticals. Let's take Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, these rich guys. They've pledged that when we die, we're donating all of our money to, to nonprofits or whatever. Well, listen, do something now because people like Warren Buffett have bought businesses and come in and shut the factories down in these towns or sold off the assets because that was the cool thing to do in the 70s and the 80s, the corporate raiders. Mm-hmm. You know, they've taken advantage of everybody. Bill Gates is no different than everybody else. You know, he's working in the Rotary International doing works around the world and, and doing some things. And I wrote a letter to him on our nonprofit. And I'm like, hey, you know what's worse than somebody starving to death in a third world country? I said, it's the Appalachian corridor that we live in of poverty where you can look across the street and see what somebody has and you have nothing. That's worse than third world poverty because they're all poor and they don't know. And Jesus said the poor you'll have with you always. So I would go back to the Theodore Roosevelt times and back these rich people down, whether it's Soros and what he's doing, whether it's the corruption that's going on at the national level. But I would enforce the law in West Virginia, and these people walking the streets on drugs would get the choice of going to jail or going to rehab because they don't have any trouble quitting when you arrest them. You ever notice that? Because in my section of the country, they they say, we can't afford to arrest ourselves out of this drug problem. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. We can't afford to arrest ourselves out. So we're going to let you just walk the street and steal and tear up everybody else's stuff till the day you wake up and decide you need treatment. But I arrest them and I put them in jail. They don't have a problem in the world. Quit. Right. Well, so, we have to, yeah, I do, uh-huh. I do have to enforce the law. Yeah. I mean, the fact that, I mean, I, and you give me opinion. I mean, I see things like, on a more fundamental level, like you may or may not know, our nonprofit deals with like encouraging you to stay absent for marriage, have a uh, you know stable family. I believe if we would have done this even a couple decades ago, and we could do it now, the next generation won't have these issues. If you grow up with your parents, you know, I mean, there's exceptions, maybe if they're drug addicted or something, but generally in a stable home, you're so much less likely to use, you know, drugs, to have premarital sex, all these things. So I, that's what I don't see people talking about. It's like very short-sighted and it's like, you know, okay, we got all these kids in foster care. Well, how come four decades ago there wasn't even, nobody even heard of foster care. And now it's like billions and billions of dollars. What happened? You know what I mean? Well, and, and you've got it. It's the family unit. And it happened because people lost hope. They lost hope. They turned to drugs or maybe they got hurt on the job place. Then they got into, you know, healing up on the job. They broke a leg or something, got hooked on painkillers. You know, there's some honest people that got hooked on drugs, right? Yes. Yes. Using the painkillers. Right. And that was the thing where like, whatever, these big companies work and all this. say, oh, no, no, no problem. And they started prescribing a lot more opioids. Yep. And so that's happening. But here's, I've talked to the DHHR in Charleston on this. You're exactly right. Rebuild the family. And how do we do it? Remember that job I was telling you about that anybody could get? Right. Build into the community. We get that. Remember the affordable houses I was telling you about the millions of dollars that are available. Right. Then we take the kids out. If they're going to take them out and they're foster kids, 
let's take the parent that's trying out of the house with the foster kids and put them in that affordable house. Now we've got the family back together here for the most part. We may have to get some support and build these houses in like a village situation where we can have some support, but there's billions and billions of dollars for that. Now we can build that family back together by giving one of them or both parents this job and having an opportunity to come back because the economist at WVU, Mr. Deskins wrote an article in executive magazine. It says if 1% of West Virginians that could go to work would go to work, it would add a billion dollars a year to our economy. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think I saw that. So what's the percentage in the country or other states of people working and in West Virginia? Can you break that down? Is it way lower in West Virginia? Oh, gracious. We only have 54% of our state population that works. And, you know, some are retired, of course, and some are students, but 54% right. work, but 100% use the facilities. So what is it in most states? Because like you say, some are retired or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know what it's like. In other, I mean, because, you know, a lot of states, no work, no eat, you know? I mean, we don't, we take people in in Huntington, West Virginia around here and we'll feed them. That's why, they, I mean, they got a bus route from all the homeless of all the world to drop them in Huntington, West Virginia, because drugs are easy to get. We'll give you a, a clean needle and we'll probably feed you. So are you saying, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with Huntington, so, but um, is it like a wash in this kind of thing you're saying, you know, op opioid use or homelessness or things like that? You can go into the health department's designated area down there and get a clean needle because it costs so much to, to uh, fight hepatitis and HIV in the hospitals that the health department has decided it's better just to give you a free needle and let you walk the streets of Huntington and use your heroin. Wow, that's interesting. I thought that was a DC thing. I didn't know it was a West Virginia no, thing. It's a universal thing, I believe. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, to kind of wind wind down, I think, you know, what would what would you like to, you know, finally uh, say to maybe summarize your campaign? And I know you've told us key points, but if you'd like to summarize, like why why uh, you know voters would vote for you and what you're presenting? Well, it's, uh, you know, I'm six or eight hours from you if I take off driving in a car today. And it's very hard, I think, a lot of these guys that are running are probably going to have to be loyal to the people that put them there, which is their hometown. So what I did to combat that is I've got a plan, I talk about it every day, to have something for every county. And the last thing I would share with you is a weekly 50-50 drawing. It drives the hard shell Christians crazy. And I am a Christian, but what it does, every time you go to a Friday night football game, they're passing around a 50-50 job. You go to a Cincinnati Reds, Pittsburgh Pirates, Washington Nationals baseball game, and they have a 50-50 draw. I called those people that do that, and I said, hey, you know what I'd like to do for West Virginia is I'd like for each of the 55 counties to have a weekly drawing where the winner has to be from the county and the rest of the money has to stay in the county. You mean it's a lottery of, of sorts? It's a lottery, but you know, the lottery has ruined a lot more lives than it's helped because the prize is too big and there's not enough winners. And I mean, it helps our state because I think about a third of our revenue comes from the lottery in the state of West Virginia. Wow. So people want to gamble. So I'm not for it against it on that end of things, but I'm saying to you, Jefferson County is no different than Cabell County. 
we've got to learn to pull our resources. Let's all put in a dollar every week. Let's pull that. And just like an insurance policy, we all pay in an auto premium. Then all that money is pulled. Somebody has an accident and the money's there to pay for the accident. It's no different than what this sweepstakes would do. Who would, but who would administer it? Isn't that problematic? Any nonprofit could understand. That's the thing about a oh, lot it of was, So it would be just like a lottery, pick a number thing? Yeah, I mean, any, anybody can do it, but the tickets on the sweepstakes can be sold through the internet. Another thing I like on the tourism aspect of it is each of the 55 counties would have a check-in place. If you're a tourist driving through West Virginia, we're going to give you a map, and it's going to show all these places you can stop in and get a free ticket. And we'll put some kind of a cash prize out there. And thanks for stopping in Jefferson County. Hey, we're going to call you. Hey, listen, we had 50 bucks. You won $50. We'll mail it out to you. Or, hey, you won two nights stay at the Hilltop. You know, whatever, whatever kind of prize we want to give out. But it lets people know you're thinking about them. And they've got all these options to go and all these places to go. They'll come to West Virginia if we give them a reason to come. They're not going to come here just to bail us out because we need help. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I mean, the beauty of the state and the uh, tourism things like the, I mean, Jefferson County is, is nice. And, um, but, you know, the New River Gorge and all these smoke hole caverns and all kinds of beautiful, and yeah. just a, just the beautiful uh, scenery as you drive across the state, like from, you know, Jeff, Jefferson County over to Charleston, done it a few times, you know, it's, it's beautiful. Absolutely. Let me give you one up here in Preston County. You know where Preston County is? Uh, sorry, I'd have to look on the map. It's okay, it's from. where it's right there in the edge of Morgantown, 20 miles east of Morgantown. Okay, okay. You know where Deep Creek Lake in Michigan or Michigan, Maryland is? It's right there in the piece that drops down in West Virginia. It's right in a V. Right there's Deep Creek Lake. Okay. Million dollar houses in Deep Creek Lake. 12 okay. miles to the west of that is a place called Alpine Lake Resort. Mm hmm. Those people will just about give you a lot to build a house over there. It's absolutely a beautiful place. It's probably two hours from Pittsburgh. It's 35 minutes from Morgantown. I mean, it's just another example of why is this not just going crazy? And West Virginia is full of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, going back to my point about, yeah, I mean, one thing I think, you know, we talked about the vaccine issue, and mm -hmm. um, I, I do, you know, I think legislators really need to look at that aspect, too. I mean, of course, I'm, you know, primarily concerned about the constitutional and personal freedom issues, God-given rights. But nonetheless, and all the more, we're also ejecting people out of our state. I wonder if the, anybody gave that any thought. You know, I'm talking about the parents who I know personally have moved out of the state. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, how about this? I read someplace in some famous document that we all have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, I once heard that. Yeah, it's this document. I mean, it doesn't get around much anymore, but it used to really be something. I mean, people lived on it and thought as much of it as they did their Bible, right? But anyway, I've got the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as long as what I do doesn't affect the lives of those around me. And I think on the, on the vaccine situation, you know, I can see why on some of these basic things people would want, but you're right on the overreach and just constantly adding and just making a toxic cocktail for these kids that don't need it and we don't need it. 
and I'm I'm with you on that. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I think we're probably coming toward the end. Unless you want to share anything else with us, I thank you for you know being on, and we'll definitely you know make this available on our uh, video and podcast and try to help as many people as possible to hear what you're saying. Absolutely. And my number is 304-638-6563. I take calls. Uh, find me on Facebook because I try to do a morning broadcast. I do Sunday school first every morning because for obvious reasons, I think Jesus is first because he won't be co-equal with anything else. And then secondly, we try to do a campaign speech here where we talk a little bit about things because Last night we were on a call for two and a half hours and, and I had five minutes. So you don't carry, you don't get very far, but if people will go and look at my Facebook wall, um, you know, that's, that's where I'm at. Brooklunsford.one, I think is what the, um, um, my, what my Facebook is, but I'd love to have you call in. I'd love to have you, you know, you're on an end of state. I need help on, you know, and I know you're trying to get the word out and you're trying to do things and you have to be impartial. But at the same time, we need results and we need them right now. So I would love to have more feedback from you at your convenience and all the people. Yeah. Listening. What time's your program every day? We usually try to get it started early, eight, nine o'clock. Is it on your uh, website somewhere? It's on Facebook. Now on my website, which is Lunsford for Governor, and I made four at the number to kind of break up all that writing. But LunsfordforGovernor.com, we do have a few YouTube type videos and some short things. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm well, working off a script and I don't have a bunch of people telling me what to say. I talk to people like you and we decide what's important and we'll try to do that. Keep the door open, be transparent and try to get this place turned around. I, I agree. I agree. Okay. Well, thank you very much for being on today. And um, yeah, yeah, we appreciate you coming on and okay. I'm, I'm your host, Richard Urban. I'm pointing to Harpers Ferry, West Virginia, and we'll see you next time. All right. Thank you so much.